Ephesians. We just got done looking at how um, Lance Smith had said, basically, the way that they're sharing the gospel in Bangkok, Thailand, is by their words and by their deeds. And I think sometimes we, we either uh, emphasize one or the other. We emphasize, well, it's not so much what I say, it's what I do. Or vice versa, we say it's not so much what I do, but it's what I say. And we don't maybe ever communicate it that way, but that's the way we live it out. And so Paul this morning, as he transitions in our book, we've been in Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3 is really about our identity or our wealth because of all that Jesus has done for us. He spends three whole chapters laying out the gospel and explaining that we have been given this new position in Christ, that we're no longer mere human beings, but we're saints. We are children of the living God, and we have been given that not because of anything that we've done, but even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, chapter 2 says that He saved us anyway. He made us alive who were once dead. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know anyone who was dead and then was made alive, except for Jesus and those that He raised to life. But then you transition and we realize that spiritually we came into this life dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead because we inherited a sin nature from Adam, who was basically our head. We are all descendants of Adam. And then also because we have a sin nature and we sin. We have rebelled against God. Even in the most minute way, if you break one law of all the commandments that God's given in Scripture, then you've broken them all. And so the standard is no longer, well, I'm better than so-and-so or my good outweighs my bad. It's like if you've either broken the law or you haven't, and that's God's standard. So God, who is rich in mercy, He made us alive who were once dead, and we've been brought near to Jesus by the blood of Jesus, by His death on the cross. If He would have came here and lived a good life and died like everybody else, we would no, have no payment for our sins. We would just have a really nice guy to learn from but we would still have to follow the law because there was no sacrifice made to deal with our sin and our guilt and our shame between us and God. Leviticus says that. It says, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus had to be sacrificed. He couldn't just come and teach us some nice things. He had to die for us because if we sin, it requires death to be dealt with. That's how you get rid of the guilt, death. And so what God did was he said, you know what? I love them very much. I'm going to do all that's in my power to take away that barrier. I'm not only going to be their judge, but I'll also be the justifier. I'll be the one that takes the punishment for the sins that they've committed. And so then at chapter 3, Paul then reveals to us that this, there was this great mystery that God was going to save the whole world through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the death the life, the burial, and the resurrection. And that was a mystery because people in the Old Testament were writing about this mystery, but they didn't quite understand what God's plan was yet. I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, my dad and I would do a project together. And he'd say, hey, we're going to go out and do this. Whether it was cut wood, whether it was fixed fence, whether it was we were going to go drag pallets across the ground until all the rocks came up, and then I could pick them out one by hand, one. You know, I lived just on the outside of Iron County, so every time we moved the dirt a little bit or it rained, we harvested granite, and they grew every year. It was crazy. 
you know, and then, and then we would fill a trailer, and then Dad would go, okay, go out and do it again, and we'd hook up to the back of our four-wheeler a pallet, a big, huge wooden pallet. This was before they became so popular to do DIY projects with. We would drag them across the ground in order to break up all the rocks, and then my brother and I would go back and pick them up. But sometimes he would tell us to do something like dragging the pallet, but not explain why. And you know what we would do as sons? We would hate it because we didn't know why he was having us do this seemingly ridiculous thing. You know, think about it. Ten-year-old kid, hey, Dad, what do you want me to do today? Drag a pallet across the ground. How many times? A bunch. Just keep going till the thing runs out of gas, you know. And we would do that. But the whole time we're like, why are we doing this? And that's how the prophets were. In the Old Testament, you, you read books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and some of those crazy ones, you're like, what in the world were they on when they wrote this passage? I don't understand any of it. But you got to understand that even as they were being inspired by the Lord to write these things and to speak them to the nation of Israel, in some ways they didn't really understand what they were writing yet. God was revealing himself to the nation and he was giving them specific words for the things that they were going to, but at the same time, they didn't fully understand what God's end game was. You know, sometimes we get so worried about, in sports especially, play by play, right? But the end game is to win with the most points, right? That, that we get. But when they're saying, hey, God's going to save his people, Israel, and he's going to bless every other nation because of what he does in the nation that came from Abraham, okay, that's, that's good. How's he going to do it? And so these prophets are getting little bits and pieces, and it ends up being like that video we saw. You see all these little pictures, but sometimes you ever see one of those mosaics where they take all these little pictures, tiny pictures, and they piece them together, and then you zoom out, and you see this beautiful picture of whatever it is. Sometimes it's a, an ocean scene, and sometimes it's a family all knit together, but it's, there's a bigger picture involved. And so these prophets were getting little portions of it, but they were never able to see the big picture. And so when Paul writes in chapter 3 of Ephesians, what he's saying is now God has revealed this mystery that these people that were called out of an idolatrous nation, Abraham and his descendants, later to be Jacob and the Israelites and the Jews as we know them now, they were a people set apart for God's use. And at the same time, every other nation in the whole world was without revelation. So the Jews got this personal relationship with the Lord that was kind of difficult because it said, if you do this, then you will be blessed. But now we, as the Gentiles, have been knit together with the Jews under one name, Jesus Christ, and we're made one church. It's crazy because these two groups have never historically gotten along, but under Christ, they're all made one. They have one purpose. They have one meaning. They have one identity. And so Paul has just revealed this. He says, here's the purpose of the mystery. He says, to me, verse 8 of chapter 3, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. This is the ministry Paul was given. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I want lots of verses like that. These are going to be my memory verses. You know, like, hey, I've been given unsearchable riches. In other words, they're uncountable. They're, they're numerous. Everything that we've been given in Christ, and not all of it will be obtained here. Most of it will be obtained in heaven. 
He says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus, to the intent, for this reason, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. So the wisdom of God is meant to be made known to the world through you and I. That's a heavy task. But all we're supposed to be is like a piece of conduit. You ever think about conduit? Nobody ever talks about it. They always talk about what runs through it. You know, somebody's running cable, and they send it through a line or electricity underground. They send it through a piece of conduit. But without the conduit there, you can't run it to where it needs to go, especially in this county. Unless they've gone before and used some sort of auger and sent it through, you can't push wire through anything around here. So that's what God is doing. He has a message that he wants to send to this world to individual people one at a time. And all we got to do is be open like a piece of conduit and let God push his word through us. And so that's what our purpose is. That's what God's revealing through Paul. And then Paul prays for the church. He says, for this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole world, excuse me, for from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, this is what Paul's praying that God would give them, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend or understand with all of the saints what is the width and the length, and the depth, and the height, the dimensions of God's love. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. To know something that we can't know. How much God fully loves us. Have you ever told your children that? You have no idea how much I love you. And, and you know they don't because the way they act, right? You're like, what in the world? Do you understand how much I care about you? Do you know the things I've done for you? I remember the first time and this is kind of a little gross, but I remember the first time Lucy said, I need to go poopy. And we ran to the bathroom because I was like, hey, she told us. I don't have to clean it up. So she sits down and she starts going. And I smelled it. I was like, this is awesome, but this is disgusting. You know, and, and the whole time, you know what the first thing that popped into my mind? Somebody did this for me. Somebody did this for me. Somebody sat here while I did what people don't talk about. And had to deal with it and poured out a little potty seat, you know. And, and I called mom. I was like, hey, remember how you always said you, you really don't know how much I love you? I'm getting a little bit of a perspective here. I, I know a little bit more now, so I love you too. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And she was like, what is going on? So then I told her the story. She goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I must love you, you know. And then later in life, how I treated her, I'm like, man, what in the world? What was I thinking? We have no idea how much God loves us. It's, it's unsearchable how much he cares deeply for you. That's why when we struggle with contentment, you've got to realize that God's given you everything that you need. And whether it's what you prefer or not is a whole other deal. But he's given you everything that you need and he picked it for you. So it's the best. It's the best. Why won't God let me do this? Because it's the best. Why does he have me here? Because it's the best for you right now. 
He might change that later. Be content. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, godliness with contentment is what? It's great gain. You want to gain? Learn contentment. Learn to be content with what you have. That's hard, right? We live in the land of opportunity. We live in the land of so-and-so down the street has this. I struggle with it too. No matter what income bracket you're at, there's always something else you want. And it robs you of peace and enjoying the fact that whatever you have is what God has for you. God's tried to teach me that so many times and I'm, I'm so slow at it. Where was I? <laughs> so he says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that God would grant you the ability to comprehend how much he deeply cares for you, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. He says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. He says, to him who is able. Who's able? Jesus. It's a Sunday school answer, but it's still true. Who is able to do this? This thing that Paul's just prayed is impossible. And he said that. But what he says is, him who is able is exceedingly, abundantly. It's like more and more and more. It's like an exponent. You, know, you take three times three, it's nine. And then you take three times three times three, it's what? Well, it's not nine times, it's 27. And it keeps getting bigger and the curve goes. Whoosh. So it's just off the charts. It goes forever. But then he says, verse, chapter four, verse one, he transitions. He's talked about wealth, all that we've been given. Now he's going to talk about our walk. Wealth and walk right? Um, the other, there was another one with alliteration. You got you know, you listen to these guys and they use alliteration, which means you say, use the same letter over and over again. I'm trying to remember what, the other one was a D. Nah, it doesn't matter. So he says, chapter four, verse one, I therefore, and Paul uses that all the time. When he says therefore, he's saying, in light of all I've already said, therefore, he says, the pr- I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beg of you, I beseech you. Maybe you guys don't use that. Maybe you think of like Monty Python. I beseech thee, you know. Maybe you never watched that. You're more godly than I am. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He's challenging the reader to walk worthy of the calling with which they've been called. What is it, what's worthy mean? I was listening to a guy yesterday, and he, he kind of opened this up to me to give me a better understanding. Because I think of worthy, and I think of my standard of being walking worthy. But he says, worthy, the original word has to do with weight. So if you have a scale, and you have weights on both sides, you know, have you ever heard that phrase in, uh, where he says, a workman is worthy of his wages? Someone who puts in a good day's work is worth what they've worked for, Right? So if we, who are children of God, we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we talk about the fact that, hey, somebody asked you, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Okay, so walk worthy of that calling. You've been called by God. So is it just something you talk about or something that you are? We're called to love people with word and deed. So he says the word worthy is actually the idea of weight, not W-A-I-T, but W-E-I-G-H-T, weight. You weigh something. And back in that day, if they were going to measure gold, 
They wouldn't give you whatever amount of gold. They would have to weigh it out. It would be a weight of gold. And that would be how much the gold was worth. Well, when he says walking worthy, he talks about the weight of your walk. Does the weight of your walk equal the weight of your talk? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've been to some of the basketball games around here, and there's lots of talk. But what about the walk, right? Can you, can you put your skills where your mouth is? Everybody knows how to mouth people and tell them how great they are at, at basketball. I've heard it. I've been at Casey's and watched the guys at the, the court right across the street there by the First Baptist Church. There is a lot of mouthing going on there. Not, not one of those guys can make a three-pointer every time. I've watched. You know, they got the chain link, you know, so no one tears down the net. They've got the chain net, and, you know, they're shooting it. And every time they're like, I bet I could do this, and they're playing horse. And you're like, not one of these guys is making a shot. This is the longest game ever. Of course, half the time, most of those guys are on their cell phones, you know, texting their girlfriend or telling them how great they are. But my point is, many times our, our talk outweighs our walk. And to the world, they're going, hey, they're hypocrites. I don't need to join a group of hypocrites. I already got a group of those in my family. Or I already got a group of those in my workplace. I, the, the world is looking for something genuine. Everyone is looking for something genuine. Every one of us is jaded when someone says they are something. Look at the presidential election. I mean, I don't know too many people that were thinking the whole time, hey, so-and-so is exactly what they say they are. No, we're all skeptical. Like, hey, he and she and whichever side you're on, you're going, well, they said this, but doesn't the past prove this? And, and so the, the world is looking for someone to be what they say they are. And when you meet someone that is genuinely who they say they are, it's refreshing. It, it's not something that the world sees. Jesus, when he came on the scene, they were blown away because he didn't just talk. He did. The guy walked on water. When he said he was going to call in the sea, he just said it happened. Even his disciples who had been with him for a long time, when he calmed the sea, they're like, truly, this is the Son of God. Well, he had already done miracles to prove that. But over and over again, as he just was the Son of God and lived that out in this life, people were blown away. They're like, man, this, this guy's not like any of the teachers that we listen to. He speaks with authority. And the authority came from the fact that he actually believed what he was saying. So the question becomes, are we walking worthy? Now, as we look at what it means to walk worthy, avoid this temptation. Avoid to hear this through the lens of so-and-so is not like that. Satan's going to whisper in your ear. You're going to hear this and you're going to go, yeah, I know so-and-so I work with or so-and-so I talked to the other day or my wife or my husband or my kids or all that stuff will come up. Why don't you just let the Lord examine you this morning? Where are you at? Now, that's scary because as I read this passage this week, I felt like the Lord was challenging me to that. And I don't like that. I don't like the mirror turned on me. I, I like what other people look like because my sin looks way worse on other people. But let the Lord just examine you this morning. Are you walking worthy of the calling with which you were called? What does it mean to walk worthy? Well, he says there in verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness. Lowliness, what is that? What's another word for lowliness? How about humility? Humility and gentleness. Another word for gentleness is meekness. So we hear the words humility and we hear the words meekness and we think, well, that's not a man's man for a guy. You know, 
We all think that we're humble but until we actually get humiliated. But when he says, with all lowliness and gentleness, remember he's writing to Ephesians. They're in the Greco-Roman culture. When, when you say that someone needs to be lowly, that's the idea of a servant who is owned by someone. That's their attitude towards their master. Humble, like, you know, the idea, I don't know if you guys have animals, but I, I do. And when Radar gets in trouble and I spank him, he walks around for a while kind of cowering below me. And in the Greco-Roman culture, the idea of lowliness was like, you just want to spit it out of your mouth if you meet somebody that's like that. Like, they are not as good as I am. And, and I think that, unspokenly, that's probably a lot of our culture. To be humble is kind of looked down upon. Actually, Aristotle said this. He says, if somebody does something to you, you know what you do? You get them back. And this is one of the most bright minds of that time. And so if you look at this through the lens of he's writing to the Ephesians, he's telling them to do something that culturally was unacceptable and it was looked down upon, to be lowly and gentle. And then he says, with long-suffering, the idea is to be patient, to let God work patience in you as you go through everyday life. And then he says, bearing with one another in love. Another translation, the New Living Translation says, uh, to make allowance for each other's faults because of your love for them. And I like that better. It's a little more understandable to me. To make allowance for one another's faults because of your love. Now, he's talking about this in the context of the church. If the church, following one Lord, one Savior, one King, cannot get along and love one another and be humble around one another, can't be patient with one another, or gentle, or won't make allowance for one another because of their love for one another, who is going to want to join that stinky thing? Who is going to want to be a part of the kingdom of God if this is the representation? And I'm not, I'm not gesturing to you. I'm just saying, who's going to want to be a part of the kingdom of God if it's just as jacked up as the rest of the world? I don't. I watched it for years. I wanted nothing to do with it. I finally met a group of genuine people that loved Jesus, and they showed it because they were willing to accept fault with one another even when they didn't do anything wrong. They were willing to lay down their rights for the good of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And that translates outside to non-believers as well. So he says, endeavoring, let me start over. Verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg of you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, to let your walk weigh as much as your talk, with all lowliness and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The beauty of being a child of God is that we now have peace with God because of what Jesus did for us, but it also gives us the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4 says that. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplications, make your request made known to God, so that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind until the day of Christ Jesus. So we have peace with God, and because of that, we have the peace of God, and that because of that, we should have peace with one another. And as a result of that, the world will see that we are the Lord's because we love one another. But then he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
The idea of endeavoring, remember they had uh, one of the space shuttles was called Endeavor, was to persistently pursue, endeavor. And I say that because many times we go, well, I pursued peace with that person one time and I'm not doing it anymore. But the idea is to always endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Put up the white flag, lay down your rights, surrender to the Lord and let Him take care of the vengeance if there is any. He will take care of his enemies, anybody who is against his cause. He says there, and then he says, once we're talking about the unity of the church, this group of people made up of people from different backgrounds, different races, different uh, statuses in society. You got to realize at that time when the church started, there were people in the church sitting in my position or standing or whatever, teaching the Bible, sharing scripture, sharing the truth with the church. And people in my position might have been a slave that was owned by someone. And there would be people in your positions that were CEOs of companies or dignitaries. And so you could have a a slave and his master with the role reversal in church. He says, that's fine, but keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he says, here's the deal. Verse 4 There's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called in in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I heard one guy say, he must have been from the South. Use the phrase, you all, youans, you know. He says, through all, above all, and in you all. So look at that. He says, there's one body. And one spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit involved in this. He says, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, who is the Lord? Jesus, the Lord. And then he says, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. So the unity that goes on within the church is supposed to be a representation of the unity that goes on in the Trinity. Between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you think that they argue? Do you think that they argue? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? No, they all have roles. That's what we're going to get into. The, the Father sends the Son. He's the Father of all. He's the Creator. Then you got the Holy Spirit. He doesn't talk about Himself ever. He only testifies of Jesus. He convicts. John says that He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. That's his role. He points the world to Jesus. And then there's the Spirit, excuse me, the the Son, who came to to be the sacrificial lamb. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to be the lamb, because you got to put your life down. I don't want to be the Spirit, because I like talking about me. (laughs) And the Father, so so there's the Trinity, right? But my point is, is that the unity within the Trinity, is our example of what it should look like inside the church of God. Now, how many people do you know that if you invited them to church or talked to them about Jesus or talked to them about church or religion or anything would say, I can't go to church because of the dysfunction that's been there and the hypocrites? How many? It does more damage. We do more damage to the cause of Christ than helping by not being in unity with one another. 
It's the most powerful witness that the Holy Spirit is involved in something when there's unity. So then he says this. He says, we, we all have one reason for being connected. And you notice verse 4 through 6, over and over the word one, 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 one. Verse 7, he says, but to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, and he quotes from, um, he quotes from the Psalms where it says, when he ascended on high... Jesus led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, verse 9, this he ascended that he's talking about. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens and that he might fit, excuse me, fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles. So he's going to talk about these gifts that he's given to the church. But all of these gifts are given for the strengthening of the body of, the, of Christ for the work of the ministry. Now, who is called to ministry? Is it the pastor? Is it the worship leader? Is it Billy Graham, the evangelist? Who's called to ministry? Well, every believer in Christ is called to ministry, every single one. Each one of you have a calling upon you that God has placed there, and He's given you gifts. Some of you have been given one gift. Some of you have been given many. The point is, is that we've all been given gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And, and it, doesn't look diff- it doesn't look the same in every life. But what He says there is He says, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, which means the strengthening of the body of Christ. So we are all work out, you know, we're, we're all here to benefit the, the universal body of Christ. One of the ways that we can benefit one another is by joining together regularly. And sometimes it's as simple as just telling how God blessed you during the week, how he provided for you. How he uh, did something amazing. You know, I, I'm going to tell a story right now that last night, about 7.30, I got home. And I was sick as a dog. We went to Cape Girardeau. Kelly was sick during the, the week. And uh, she got better. We had this day all planned. And then Friday night, got the crazy ice storm or water mist craziness apocalypse. And then everybody's home, right? Everybody's safe. And we were still going to do our trip because we're Americans, and that's what we do. Nobody's deterring us from doing what we already planned. And so we get in the car. We take the kids to my mom and dad's house. We drive down to Cape. We were only there for like two hours. The temperature dropped like 25 degrees. We drove all the way back, got to my parents' house, and she's feeding us. Now, I had already eaten at one. We had Chick-fil-A. It was awesome. And then... We went to my mom and dad's house. She's feeding us. And I'm, not, I'm already not feeling that great. And then we get home. And I'm definitely not feeling great. And the whole night went downhill from there. But my point in telling you this is that I got stuff to do. I got a Bible study to teach in the morning. We got worship to leave. We got all these plans. And the Lord says, I want to use something that you're not used to. I want to use the body of Christ to bless you. Now, I didn't email and text all of you guys because none of you would have been here. You're like, hey, I'm not going to the plague chapel, you know. But we texted the Persleys and a couple other people. We said, hey, I'm sick. 
Well, I didn't. My wife, who was filled with faith more than I am, she texted the person and said, please pray. She texted some ladies that she prays with all the time. And next thing you know, at 6.30 this morning, she got in bed with me. And she said, hey, how you doing? I think I'm doing all right. And I didn't feel like, hey, I'm going to go jumping jacks and, and show off. I felt reasonable. So I got up, started shooting texts out. Hey, need you to help me because I thought there was going to be ice. You know, at the same time that I'm sick, they got all the ice thing going on and the two degrees and trying to keep fires going. And, and then my daughter wakes up sick and should have everybody pray for her, you know. But my point is, is that Kelly's not here this morning because she's taking care of our daughter. But here I am. I'm sitting here going on and on and on. But I, last night I couldn't have done that. I couldn't do anything. And God healed me. So I'm sharing that story because it should strengthen you. Sharing that story, not to point at me or the Persleys, but that we have a living God who desires to use each one of us in each other's lives. And if we don't embrace that, we're missing it. We're missing the kingdom of God. You know, when we skip out on, on some of the opportunities we have to gather, whether it's a game night where we're going to mouth each other, or whether it's, a, you know, somebody's got like a house that needs a roof on it. Some of my closest brothers in Christ, they called me when they needed something. And nobody wants to do that because we're Americans. We don't want to need anybody, but when we need somebody and they help us, that deepens that relationship, and that goes for the body of Christ. We are here for each other, for the strengthening, the encouragement, for giving boldness. When the disciples went out on their first mission after Jesus had ascended into heaven, they, they went out and they got thrown in jail because they had shared Jesus, and they were t- being told, you need to shut your mouths and not talk about this Jesus anymore. And they all, you know what they did in order to get past that? They all got together and they prayed. Lord, we know that you made the heavens and the earth. We know that Jesus is real. We know that our salvation is important. We know that the whole world needs this salvation. Otherwise, they'll perish. Give us boldness to go anyway. And what was crazy is as they prayed, they all went out and they were joyful. And they went and did it again. And many of them, I'd say most of them, got martyred for their faith. But because of what they were able to push through, because of the grace of God poured into their lives, you and I are are reading this thing today. This cost people's lives. They wanted to walk worthy. When God calls us to walk in lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, He's not putting out something He didn't do. When Jesus was being murdered on the cross, brutally, He was dying they were mocking him. Did Jesus, what did he say? Did he revile against them? Or did he say, forgive them? They're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't say, God struck them down. No, he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know you, Lord. I came to bring peace to the world. I came to save them, not to condemn them. And so when God gives us gifts, he does it so that we can strengthen one another Till we all, verse 13, come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's already prayed that we would know the height, the width, the depth, the dimensions of God's love for us. But then he's also saying what God's purpose is, his will for your life, is that you would actually become those dimensions. That he would transform your life so that you look so much like Jesus that people would be face to face with God himself through your testimony, through your character. 
And then he says that we should no longer be children. That idea is not that we would just be older. I mean, we do that naturally, right? Not one of us here has just stopped aging. But what he's saying is that we would no longer be children, childlike, immature, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Look at yourself like this. The body of Christ is a bunch of joints and ligaments, and we all supply something. To the church in Bangkok who have not ever met us, we supply what we have to offer. And that's a little bit of financial encouragement. And Lance and Sandy, we send them. That's our part. And other churches do the same thing at the same time. And so they're able to afford plane tickets and travel expenses and food for money, or money for food, not food for money. It, they're, they're able to be supplied everything they need so that they can go over there and build relationships that you and I could never talk with. Lance Smith knows Thai. He just says a little of it here, and I'm just like, that sounds like literally somebody dropped a spoon. You know? That's the joke that we always make. Like, hey, how'd they name their kid? They dropped their spoon. But that, we sound like that to them. So we need a bridge. We need somebody who could speak the language. God sent us. God sent his son for us. God sent us to live for his son because he had to die. So here we are. We speak the language. We're from here. Now, maybe I'm not, technically. I've been here three years. But many of you are from here. Your roots are here. You have family members. You have friends. You have people that you know that that have no hope. And when they get done opening Christmas presents, I guarantee a lot of them are going to be disappointed. You know why? Because they didn't get what they wanted. It's happened to me for 20-some years. I didn't get what I wanted. But you know what's great now is that in Christ, whether I get what I wanted or not, I got what I need. I got hope that goes beyond the bad ties. I got, got hope behind the, beyond the ugly sweaters. You know, I got hope that goes beyond whether or not my job situation changes or so-and-so mouthing me ever stops. I, I've got hope because Jesus made me worthy to be a son of God. And then he's telling me that I got a responsibility. I need to walk worthy. You've been made worthy in Christ. Now go walk worthy. And I say that because it's just like gardening. And I was telling Steve this this morning. What do you got to do to let weeds grow in your garden? Nothing. They do that on their own. What do you got to do to grow something that's going to produce fruit? You got to work at it. Walking takes work. Walking is hard. Walking gets old. Walking is not popular. It's not flashy. Walking is just something we do. and We only know what it's like, and we only know it's disappointing when we can't do it anymore. Walk worthy while you can. Don't let the weeds grow up, because they will do that on their own. You don't have to work for it. So he says, walk worthy with the calling that you've been given. And God has given you gifts to fulfill that calling, every one of us. And then he says, verse 16, From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part. 
And when they do, they cause growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. When we fulfill our role, the body of Christ will grow. When we fulfill our purpose in the body of Christ, it will be healthy. And I don't mean church growth. I'm not talking about filling the seats or making it bigger. Or, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we, you and I find out what God has gifted us to do, we recognize that we've been called, that we've been equipped, then guess what? The whole body of Christ will have everything they need. And then we'll have enough to supply others. And we can fulfill practical roles. I heard Stephen personally praying for the family that lost their house on Main Street in Arcadia. The purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was not to fulfill financial needs. But many times, because of loss, God uses us because we want them to know Jesus to provide in a way. So I'm, I was praying like, Lord, is there something we can do to help that family? Maybe one of you know better than I do. My point is we've been blessed to be a blessing. So let's walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling that God's given you. Are you walking in the light of everything that God's done for us? Are you personally walking worthy of what you say you are in Christ? Are you taking full advantage of his relationship with you? If you, if you will, you'll be a huge blessing. And you'll have joy. And then sometimes you're going to call people and say, hey, I'm sick, pray for me. And then they'll do it. And sometimes you'll get healed, and sometimes you will not. And then you'll be disappointed, but then someone else will fill the role that you were there for. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the riches of your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Father, thank you for this season that we celebrate, you sending your son. Thank you for sending him through a family that would take care of him. Thank you for supplying all that they needed. Thank you for that little boy growing up to be a man and not just saying, hey, I'm the son of God, but living that out for us day to day in the moment by moment. Lord, thank you for making a meek man and yet uh, tossing tables in the temple when his his father's temple was being used as a place for robbery and, and for trickery. Lord, we love you, and we don't, you know, we don't all know what we're called to yet, but we want you to reveal to us how you've called us to serve in the body of Christ, and we want you to, we want you to know that we're willing, we're here. We want to be your conduit. We just need you to show us the way. And so, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for this opportunity to gather Thank you for simple things like a warm building. And Father, we just pray that during this Christmas season that you would continue to grow us in our relationship with you. Make us mature. Grow us up. Help us to be willing to serve, but also to embrace uh, your love and to tell others how much you deeply care about them. In Jesus' name, amen.